Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspire Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. There's a, a, a lot of things I want to cover today, so um, uh, let's uh, pray for my time. Um, I want to pray, I want to start uh, by acknowledging what's going on in the world, Ukraine, Russia, and you know, it's what affects one affects all. We're all affected by this in different ways. And you know, I, as a pastor, there's so many things happening every day, right? You say, what do you address and what don't you address? I mean, we, every Sunday we can pray for a new thing, you know? We do our best, but this is pretty global, and, uh, and, and it's pretty well televised, and so I feel like it's on our, everyone's heart. And so can we just take a moment just to pray? I want to pray for Ukraine. I want to pray for Russia, too. Um, I want to pray for the world leaders. doesn't matter who you voted for. You know, God didn't call you to vote for someone in particular. He called you to pray for whoever's in that office. And so I want to pray for our leaders, world leaders, um, and I want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Russia and in Ukraine, and all around. And you know what? Um, there's this movement that has tried to say, we don't want your thoughts and prayers. You all, you all know about that movement? Yeah. I understand it. It's like, well, do something more than that. But if you're a true believer, prayer is the battlefield. Yeah. It's the primary yeah. battlefield. Yeah. And so as much as I feel like, man, I wish I could do more, I know that we could at least pray together. And so can we take some time to pray? Yeah. Are you guys okay with that? Yeah. In fact, can we stand? just out of reverence for the situation and before the Lord. You know, I, I'm thankful that we're here nice and comfy in the United States, um, but the Lord could take that away overnight. Um, but can we at least make ourselves uncomfortable in terms of just our flesh? Can we pray for a moment standing? So Heavenly Father, I know that this isn't the only thing going on. There's so much things happening all over the world, different continents, even in our own region. But I'm just lifting up this, this, this war. We learned in the book of Daniel that you are sovereign over kings and kingdoms, empires and emperors. You move things around. You shift things. You cause kings and queens even to go into battle. This is, there's something in, in this that you're getting glory from. Very hard for us to understand that. But we trust that. I lift up Ukraine. All the lives that are being taken right now. Even right now as we pray, just the ongoing bombardment and warfare. I lift up the Ukrainian leaders. I even lift up Russia. Even Putin right now. You could speak to him. You can change hearts. I lift up the people of God, our brothers and sisters in Christ that are praying on both sides of the borders. Lord, I lift up the men and women who are going to church in a war-torn country. They're still going because they're trusting and believing in you. That you all, you're all they got. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy. Turn the tide. We pray for peace. And we pray that um, your will would be done on, the, on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for praying.
Today we begin a new sermon series that we've titled Substitute Saviors. We're going to spend six weeks annoying you. <laughs> We're going to spend six weeks picking at your idols. Can I tell you something about idolatry, especially in the book of Acts? Whenever the apostles confronted idolatry, there was usually anger in response. In fact, I can think of a story in Acts 17 where there's a riot because the Apostle Paul is calling out the idolatry. So as we call out idols today in the next couple of weeks, be very aware of the warfare and even the anger that might come up inside of you. I know I've even faced it. Um, because anytime you start to pick at people's gods and expose them, it, it, you, can easily re you can react in humility and repentance or pride and defensiveness. And so I stand with you. I know I'm preaching, but I stand with you. I preach to myself even as we're studying for this very much. My heart, me and Jamila are talking about it at home. And just, so I just want you to know that um, as we enter into this, I pray that you would be with us. Um, but I also pray you'd be very aware of what's going on inside of you. In fact, you could probably see your idols. Um, um, some of them even on here. Um, and, um, and so, you know, a, a couple, be, actually before I was born, uh, my mother and father went to Mexico and, uh, did a ministry trip in Mexico. And after one of the nights of service, there was a doctor who gave his life to Christ and he came to my father and he began to talk to my father and he began to share with my mom and my dad that at home he had some idols and he began to share how these idols were actually idols that were excavated from the region of Zacatecas, Mexico, and that they were legitimately worshipped. Um, and that he wanted to give them away uh, because his wife would pray to them. Now, for those of you that are superstitious, I want to remind you that according to the scripture, there's no power in this. Some of you are in here right now saying, how do we have this up here, brother? Like, we worshiped. Well, you know what? You did worship, but we do that every Sunday. We bring our idols to church, don't we? And we worship. And I want you to know there's no power in this. In fact, uh, the book of Psalm makes fun of this. It says, you can't talk, but you got a mouth. You can't walk, but you got feet. You can't grab, but you got arms. Do you understand that? So for those of you a little superstitious in here, let that go. Nonetheless, this was worship, literally. I don't want to drop it. It's probably priceless. Amen. And it was given to my parents, and they've had it in their houses, and I, you know, I, you know, I haven't broke out yet in anything weird, right? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Joke. You caught it. Good. And so, um, <laughs> um, you know, the church has a transformation problem, don't we? Don't we? I mean, can we be honest today? There are many self-proclaimed Christians, even in this room, who are not living holy lives. Y'all feel that disconnect? You know, there's a Sunday life and then there's a regular life. Um, there's a disconnect. We attend on Sundays and we, we hear the gospel We meet in small groups. We discuss the gospel. We even confess with our mouths that the gospel is true. Yet, 
because we don't apply the gospel to our idols, we see little to no transformation in our lives. If you're in this room and you go to church, but you, li you live a life that's not holy before the Lord, it's because you haven't applied the gospel to your idolatry. Puritan minister David Clarkson, you're going to get a lot of David Clarkson. The Puritans don't hold back. Um, so uh, he says it bluntly. Are you ready? Um, he says, till the heart be turned from idols, till this secret idolatry be renounced, there is no conversion. And without this, no salvation, no inheritance in the kingdom of God. It's pretty heavy. Y'all see that? I'm going to say it again. Till the heart be turned from idols, till this secret idolatry be renounced, there is no conversion, no salvation, no inheritance in the kingdom of God. You see, idolatry isn't just an issue in the Bible. It is the issue of the Bible. In fact, with over 1,000 mentions, idolatry is by far the most frequently discussed topic in the scriptures. Did you know that? And, and hear me out. At the core of every struggle and decision to sin is the question, who is Lord of my life? Jesus or an idol? Every decision that we make to sin is the result of answering the question that there's an idol that is the Lord. There's a counterfeit God, a substitute savior. It was Martin Luther who said, you can't break commandments two through 10 without breaking commandment one. In other words, like you can't lie, cheat, steal, covet, dishonor, murder, adultery without first breaking the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. There's an old hymn that we used to think, sing, Jesus be the Lord of all. And the final line of that hymn goes, for if you are not Lord of everything, you're not Lord at all. Wow, what a line. I like, you know, a little comedic relief right now. Like what a line, right? Like if he's not Lord over everything, he's not Lord over anything. And so here's what I'll do. I want to pray. And uh, I want to open up the door. Today is going to be uh, just an overall understanding of idolatry. And then for the next weeks, Roger and I, we're going to touch on particular idols. We're going to pick on them a little bit for the next couple of weeks. But today I just want to give you an overview so we can have kind of a, uh, a bird's eye view of it all before we start focusing in on the specifics. Amen? So can we pray? Heavenly Father, I know I need you. We need you. Um, I can feel our hearts are stirring and conviction is setting, but also the enemy is here to condemn, kill, steal, and destroy. The enemy is here to rob the seed of the word. So Lord, I pray that it would fall on good soil. In Christ's name we pray, amen you have your Bibles, and I will wait for you. Isaiah 44. We're going to actually read 
verses 9 through 20, okay? 9 through 20. So we're going to go deep here a little bit in this story from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 44. We'll have it for you here on the screen as well, but I'd love for you, if you have your Bibles, to go there. Um, Isaiah chapter 44, 9 through 20. How y'all doing? Amen. I'm going to keep my friend right here just so you can see him. That little jewel right there in the middle? I wonder if that's worth anything. <laughs> got to be, right? Some of your idolatry is already, right? Ooh, that's got to be good money. Okay. Isaiah 44. If you have your Bibles, we're there. We're going to read verses 9 through 20. Y'all ready for this? Ready or not, here we come. It reads like this. The word of the Lord reads like this. Verse 9. This is the prophet speaking. All who fashion idols are nothing. Ouch. And the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Verse 10. Who fashions a God or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing. Behold. All his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. Verse 12. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool <laughs> and works it over the coals. He fashions it with a hammer and works it with a strong arm. He becomes hungry. It's lunch break. And his strength fails. He drinks no water in his faint. Verse 13, the carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. There you go. So you can put it up right in your house. Verse 14, he cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. <laughs> he roasts it and is satisfied. He also warms up himself and says, ah, I'm warm. I've seen the fire. Verse 17, and the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, deliver me, for you are my god. They know not, wow, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten, and shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. Listen to this. A deluded heart has led him astray. He cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Wow. Heavy. 
With regards to idolatry, I want to discuss four characteristics of idolatry. If you're taking notes, number one is I want to discuss the source of our worship. Number two, I want to discuss the objects of our worship. Number three, I want to discuss the activities of our worship. And finally, I want to discuss the gospel response. And how many of you know that for the first three points, it's going to hurt, but the gospel is going to come in to save and to heal. Amen? Amen. And so number one, if you're taking notes, it's going to be the source, the object, the activity, and the response. Y'all with me? Let's do this. The source. In verse 9, the verse addresses all who fashion idols. And it also says, and their companions. In this text, the prophet confronts an entire industry of idolatry. Like idols is really good money. There's an entire economy built upon the production and consumption of idolatry. And so we see the prophet calling out those who produce the product. Right? The blacksmith, the ironsmith, the carpenter. But he also calls out those who consume the product, right? The witnesses and the companions. And thus the prophet rebukes both, listen, the idol makers and the idol worshipers. And he regards what they do as nothing, shameful, worthless. But here's what I want you to notice. Notice the Holy Spirit who's inspiring this text. Notice the diagnosis of their foolishness in verse 20. I don't know if you caught this, but you remember it said this, a what? A deluded heart has led them astray. I want you to know, though the objects of their idolatry may be made up of metals and wood and carved images and stones, the source of their idolatry is the heart. You with me? Though they carve an inanimate object, this is not alive. They bring it to life. You see, when we hear the word idols, we quickly dismiss this critical biblical concept, don't we? I mean, look at this, right? How primitive. How ancient. We fail to see the relevancy of this in our lives. After all, we don't worship idols, do we? And don't answer that question. (laughs) Yet, the Bible connects the heart to the hands. So that what we see on the surface is really just a manifestation of what's on the inside. God is saying that these hollow and empty inanimate objects are given life by our human wants and desires. You see, behind every physical and visible idol is a hidden and invisible, inordinate affection of the heart. Pastor Timothy Keller refers to them as the deep idols. That is a surface idol. But the idols that are in the heart are the deep idols. The prophet Ezekiel will call them the idols of the heart. 
In the New Testament, idolatry is a metaphor for excessive wanting, craving, needing, and greedy demand. Are you with me? It's what Paul calls the lust of the flesh. It's what the Apostle John will say, not just the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Are you with me? And I love this Puritan minister. Here he comes, David Clarkson. He coined this term, the carnal man's trinity, riches, honors, and pleasures. Y'all feel that? What are these idols of the heart? It's the elevation of love and approval, power and pleasure, security, safety, comfort, and control. To put it plainly, it's the elevation of my will over God's will. It's the deification of the flesh, which is the root of all unholy living. When you sin against God, you are deifying the flesh. You are making yourself God. Are you with me? You see, idol makers are not limited to professional tradesmen, nor is the production of idols limited to physical workshops. But John Calvin said, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. Have you ever worked in a factory, toured a factory, seen a factory, the production lines as it's producing the product and with a conveyor belt? That's our hearts. Pumping, conveying, producing idols. We move from the source to the objects. You know, this is kind of a form of satire. You know, I, I kind of like that God's a little sarcastic, you know, and, and you know, he likes to kind of throw some zingers. Like, you'll read some scriptures, you're like, oh, he's kind of making fun of them right now. I don't know if you noticed that. But he's saying, what you're doing is foolishness, it's a joke. He says, hey, idol industry, the joke is on you. He said, let me highlight this joke for you so that you can see because evidently you are blind. Are you with me? He pokes fun of an entire industry of idolatry by emphasizing the tools and materials of the trade. There are tools for cutting, right? Coals for burning, fires for forging. They use hammers, sketch pencils. You catch that? Measuring lines and chisels. And here's the irony of idolatry. Here's the irony of idolatry right here. They use tools to manipulate metal so that the metal can manipulate them. Here's the insanity of idolatry. What they once willed power over to create, it now wields power over them. Y'all with me? And you notice the materials, cedars, cypresses, oak trees in the forest. God's very particular about this. God continues to mock them and point out that half the material they use to keep warm and bake bread. And then the other half, they bow down and give their lives. Y'all catch that? 
Is you cook with it, you, you use it, you, you keep warm with it, you put on meat and roast it. And then you bow down and you give your life to it. Notice the emphasis on created things. You see that? This is all creation, all creation. Stone, miner- minerals, uh, 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 trees, wood. Y- y'all see that? It's all, it's all created material. It's all creation. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Idolatry occurs when we give the creation what rightfully belongs to the creator. Idolatry is when we give what rightfully belongs to the creator to creation. And if we're being honest... We're no different. Amen? We're no different. We sacrifice for our wood. No? No, we don't. Do we sacrifice for our wood? We love our wood. This is a big Tesla right here. And I apologize to those of you who drive in Teslas, but, right? We give generously to our metal. Mm, we give faithfully, huh? Every month, faithful givers. Oh, and that's sitting right next to all the nice little makeup. And let's see if I can lift this. It's a little heavy. Our bodies are important, aren't they? Some of you guys, we close your apple rings faithfully. Don't you? Faithfully. And we just went through a 30-day series, right? Rhythms of life, reading the scriptures, waking up early to pray, going to bed to pray. I wish we had spiritual rings. We'll see who closes those. Look, I know, I know. It's like, you know, this ooh fest. But you hear my heart. Like, if God could do it, I feel empowered to do it. Like, if we can make satire, we can make a joke of this, and we can be honest about it, we can open our eyes and see. Come on, we give to our wood, we sacrifice for our wood, we give to our metal generously. We have paper, don't we? The same stuff that we use to warm our bodies and cook our meals, we give our lives to. There are different kinds of idols, okay? There are personal idols, like romance, love, Body image. Can I tell you something about idols? You know it's an idol because you're willing to sin to get it or sin to keep it. Right? I think, you know, when I was thinking romance or relationships, how many people I sit down and counsel, they're Christians, but they're engaging in sexual activity. Right? Not married. Right? I sacrifice my body to the altar of love and romance and acceptance and approval, pleasure. Y'all see that? We give. We sacrifice. We sin. We're in relationships unequally yoked. There are ideological idols. You know, ideological idols is really idolatry. That's what it is. It's a system of thoughts beliefs. Come on, don't we have those? No? Politics? Philosophy? Black lives matter, blue lives matter? Democrat, Republican, make America great again? 
No? Are your idols rioting yet? Because we'll talk about that. What do we got? Socialism, capitalism, communism, Marxism. I mean, just throw all the isms out there. These are ideological things, right, that we elevate to messiahs. Religion is an idol. Ministry is an idol. You know, me standing up here and preaching and receiving your applause can be my idolatry. Like vainglory can be. You all might think I'm the holiest person in the world. Pastor Phil knows the scriptures so well. He preaches so good. I come down high fives. And what, if I live my life for that, I'm going to stand before the Lord. And he's going to say, I don't know you. I'm going to say, I spent 30 years of my life planting a church for you, God. Right? We get all defensive idols. He says, I don't know you. You didn't love me. You loved the applause. Right? My idol is all the time. Whenever I come in here and the crowd, it's full in here, my idol is like this. When I come in here, these guys know. And, you know, we've, we had 10 people at 9 a.m. and 20 people at 11 a.m. I'm distraught. Why? Because my identity. Do you understand that? Can I be honest momentarily? No? If you don't want to come back to Inspire, you, there are other gospel-believing churches in the area I can point you to. But I'm just being honest. Ministry can be an idol. There are cultural idols, right? Our heritage, our race, whatever that is. Tradition. Or in America, radical individualism, my freedoms, my rights. It's an idol. If that idol causes us to sin, if it causes us to disobey the scriptures, it's, it's idolatry. Are you with me? Here's, here's what's fascinating. Idolatry is so comprehensive that we can even link idols to like specific regions. Come on, Bay Area folks. Y'all with me? Silicon Valley folks, y'all hearing me? Y'all ready? What school did you graduate from? Oh, you went to Stanford? You went to Berkeley? Like, I believe we have a Berkeley degree right up here waiting for you. You want to take it? Take a picture of it. <laughs> Say it's yours. You see what it does for you? No? What degree did you earn? Oh, you got an associate's? Mm. You got a bachelor's degree? Mm. Oh, you got a master's degree. Oh, this is my son. He has a PhD. Right? While the daughter's over here like, hey, I live here too, mom and dad. Y'all feel that? Y'all feel that? Idolatry for the parents. And then the parent is fashioning the child to have an idol too. And so while the parent idolizes success and status, the child is always trying to approve mom and dad. Idolizing their mom and dad. Lives their whole life trying to make dad and mom proud. Come on, Bay Area folks. What kind of car do you drive? You got a range? Or here in the Bay, Tesla, right? And no offense, I know we have a few Tesla folks. And I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I honor you guys. <laughs> right? I asked for a model of Tesla and I got one, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> right, but in, in the Bay, this is a status symbol, yeah? Right? Okay, I'm moving off of that because there's a few Tesla folks in here. I still want you guys to tithe, so. That is a word. It's a word. We'll edit that one out later. Ryan, edit that, please. Thank you. 
Okay, y'all get what I'm, you're, you know, just a little comedic. We all got idols, right? <laughs> what company do you work for? What industry are you in, right? Tech is kind of the hot thing right now. Facebook, Google, right? Where you at? Apple, right? McDonald's? What industry are you in? Ready for this one? Y'all ain't ready for this one. You ready for this one? Oh, you're going to feel this one. Do you own your own home? Or do you just rent? Y'all feel that in the Bay? Nah, you don't feel that in the Bay, do you? Hmm. You see, because that's the true mark of success. In fact, when Jesus comes back, all the homeowners get, get in, right? Jesus is going to be like, you know what? I've come back for homeowners. Because... You laugh, but some of you work hard for this because you think this is what matters. Because this is your savior. Y'all feel that? I know I do. Maybe it's just me. That's why I'm real passionate on this one. It's an idol of mine. It really is. Is the neighborhood safe? How's the school district? What about your retirement? What are the stock options? The list goes on and on and on. We have constellation of idols, constellation of idols in us. Outward idols, surface idols, visible idols that are being animated by internal deep idols of the heart. Can you see now how your surface idols are fueled by your, deep, your deeper idols? Right? I mean, the house provides security. The, the car symbolizes status. The relationship brings approval. Money buys power. Religion creates control. Six, sex gives me pleasure. Alcohol helps me escape. We got that over here too. I have to remind often people in this church, drunkenness is a sin. It's a sin. Please don't misunderstand me here. I have to really make this true for you. I have to really make sure you understand this. None of these things are inherently evil. In fact, this is kind of cool, like, kind of put it up my house and you know what I mean that's kind of cool like this isn't evil again some of you are really superstitious or you come from a very religious so you know that's evil pastor no this is it's what your heart did to it you see that I mean I'm not bowing down to this so so don't misunderstand me like this is beautiful guys this is good some of you you you, you use this to glorify God you open this up. You open your doors. Hospitality. I mean, please don't get me wrong. This is beautiful. Uh, this is that's, that's a nice car. 
It's a nice car. You know what I mean? Like, it's beautiful, right? Like, like work out. Yes, work out. Like, that's important. Healthy, that's important. Do you understand all of this? Like, none of that is inherently evil. It's when we take good things and make them God things. When we're willing to sin to get it or to keep it. When we are willing to engage in it before we engage in the Lord. When we prioritize it. How about this? We can possess things, but they become idols when they possess us. When things possess us. What makes something into an idol is not when we possess it, but when it possesses us. How then do we know if something's become an idol? Big question. How do I know? I got all these things. This entire bookshelf I could take home. Right? Except I may not have, uh, what is this? 50 Shades of Grey. <laughs> may not have that one, Pastor Phil. I won't tell you who we borrowed that from. I'm kidding. No clue. <laughs> Kid, totally kidding. Totally kidding. Total joke. Total joke. Total joke. Total joke. Stay on script. My wife's not in here neither. She's out there serving, so she would be looking at me too. Okay. okay. <laughs> Stay in my lane. I got, I got Roger and Beck over here, though. We good. So how do we know? How do we know? How do we know something's become an idol? When we engage in acts of worship, okay? So we talked about the source of idolatry. We talked about the objects of idolatry. Now we're talking about the activity of idolatry, which is worship. Something's become an idol when we worship it. I want to remind you what the text says. Let's go back to the text. Isaiah 44, 17 reads like this. It says this, and the rest of it, okay? Now this is after he's chopped it down, right? He's burned a fire with it, <laughs> right? He's, made, he's roasted some meat over it, you know? It's, the wood has been really good to him. He says, scripture says, and the rest of it, he makes into a God, his idol. Here it is, number one. And he what? Falls down to it and worships it. And then number two, he what? Prays to it. Notice what he says. Deliver me, for you are my God. Two things. How do I know something's become an idol? When I worship it and pray to it for deliverance. Let me, can I break that down for you? Okay, thank you. He worships the object. Y'all ready for our Puritan friend? David Clarkson's coming back. He identifies two forms of worship, David Clarkson does. He says one is external, and then he calls the other one internal. So in other words, one is with the body and the other is with the soul. Now I'm not gonna stay too long on the body, but we see that. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel, right? Pastor Roger, you spoke on that. And remember they were told when the music plays to what? Prostrate their body down. Now it's okay to bow. It's okay to bow. It's okay to give honor to civil to, in, in civil situations to people. But when you're bowing is... Uh, inputting upon something or giving it divine honor, which is why the three Hebrew boats said, we will not bow. Because when I bow, when I use my body, I am elevating. I'm saying that this is my God and we will not do that. That's for the book of Daniel, right? But the apostle Paul says, your body is a temple. He says, you don't use your members that don't members, don't use your members as instruments of dishonor. Your body is to be a body of worship. Your physical members. And in some places to the Corinthians, he's saying, you, you use your members, this is going to be inappropriate. To go into prostitutes and harlots. But in Greece, that's how they worship gods. They go to the temple. Fornicate. 
You use your members to worship. Okay, I don't want to stay there too long. I'm going to go to this one because this one's a little harder to understand. Inner worship, soul worship. How do I know, how do I know I'm making something a God when I'm giving to it worship, soul worship? Are you ready? David Clarkson, here he is. 13 acts of soul worship. He lists 13 acts of soul in a good Puritan fashion. They love, they preach long messages. You think I'm long. 13 acts of soul worship. Are you ready? I'm gonna throw them out there. Here we go. 13 acts. How do I know? I've turned something into God. Number one, esteem, that which we most highly value, we make our God. Number two, mindfulness, that which we think about the most, we make our God. Number three, intention, that which becomes our ultimate goal or our greatest aim in life, we make our God. Number four, resolution, that which we are most determined to accomplish, we make our God. Love, number five, that which we most cherish and adore, we make our God. Trust, that which we are most confident in and dependent upon, we make our God. Fear, that which we are most afraid of. We make our God. Hope, that which we most look forward to is our God. Nine, desire, that which we want the most is our God. Ten, delight, that which brings us the most joy is our God. Eleven, zeal, that which we are most passionate about is our God. You know what the word passion means? What you're willing to suffer for. 12, gratitude, that which we most acknowledge, remember, and are grateful for. Y'all see that? I can be grateful. I'm grateful for this, but I'm grateful for the God who gave me this. Listen, don't clap yet. (laughs) Mom, you can clap whenever you want. I'm grateful for the God who gave me this so that when this goes away, no, no, no. Y'all see that? I'm not just grateful for this, but I'm grateful for the God who gave this to me because when this goes away, my God is still faithful. No, you don't believe that though. Gratitude. Number 13, industry, right? That which we are most willing to work for, work toward, serve for is our God. Amen? Clarkson concludes, soul idolatry will exclude men out of heaven. He that serves his lust is as incapable of heaven as he that serves and worships idols of wood or stone. Some of you are like, when's the gospel coming? Not yet. You've seen David go out there, okay, the gospel's coming soon. This is cutting. Remember I said, number one, that which you worship, and then number two, you pray to. Pray to. Remember his prayer. That's the key. He prays what? Deliver me. Hmm. In other words, the man turns the man-made object into a substitute savior. Isn't that what deliver me is? I'm going to look to my God to save me, substitute saviors. Every idol, listen, counterfeits God. And every idol promises heaven and promises hell. Every idol promises eternity and promises and warns of damnation. Did you know that? Am I doing too much? 
Do you believe me? Let me explain. Are you ready? If I can only buy a house, then my life will be secure. That's heaven. But if I rent for the rest of my life, everything's a failure. You see that? Your house is your savior, and it promises you a heaven and a hell. If I go to this college and get that degree, then my future will be secure. What a lie. What a lie. Some of you are like, don't let my teenagers listen to you. Tonight I'll deal with it. If I go to this college and get that degree, then my future will be secure. But if I don't get accepted or I don't pass that exam, then I'll never be enough. Heaven, hell. No? If I can only get married. Come on. I'd be the happiest I've ever been because marriage makes you happy. It does. Love to have some singles come into some counseling sessions with some marrieds. What a lie. What a lie. What a lie. But if I don't find a, a spouse, then I'll always be unwanted, alone, and I'll never be enough. Hmm. No wonder why people will violate boundaries for romance. Right? I'll never be enough. I'll never be wanted. I'll be stigmatized. My family will say this about me. I'll walk around and feel like I'm in the embarrassment in the room. Hmm. Hmm. My idol of romance promises me a heaven and a hell. But it's a lie. If my child is successful, it'll validate me as a parent. I feel that, especially on the soccer field. Like, poor kid, he's playing kids love soccer. Like, it's not even, you know what I mean? Like, they're just learning how to cheer and, like, play tag. And I'm out there like, you better be the fastest, the most aggressive. And yes, it's a joke, but there's, right? Like, idolatry is real, though. I don't want to trivialize this. But I do want, I do want to make it clear and plain. Right? There's a heaven. If my child is a success, he'll validate my, my parental worth. But if they fail, if they fall, feel that? If they fail and if they fall, there are a lot of pastors' kids that felt that. Some people in here or maybe someone listening is a pastor's kid and you walked away from the church because you felt failure and fall because all eyes were on you because you were the what? Pastor's son or daughter. Mm, idols are crushing, aren't they? If I don't get this job, if I don't hoard this money, if I don't take this overtime, if I lose the promotion, then I won't be accepted. I won't be respected. I won't achieve the American dream. Talk about a regional idol. Y'all see it now? And because we look to our gods to save us, we are more than willing to sacrifice to them. more than willing to sacrifice 
more than willing. We'll sacrifice our marriage. We'll sacrifice our children. We'll sacrifice our relationship with God. We'll sacrifice our church attendance. We'll sacrifice our scripture. We'll sacrifice our prayer time. We are more than willing to sacrifice and justify. We'll sacrifice, we'll sacrifice, we'll sacrifice because we're running away from the damnation, the condemnation, the hell, the lie that idolatry is bringing. But because we live in an economy of idolatry, Another Puritan writer, The Pilgrim's Progress, he calls it Vanity Fair. I thought, that's not just a magazine, y'all. He coined it Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair is all that we see. That which we are willing to sin, to get, or to keep as our God. And that activity of sin is a form of worship. You want to know the craziest thing? I'm going to just keep using the house because that's a big deal. You want to know the craziest thing about idolatry? When we don't get these things, y'all see that? When we don't get these things, when life doesn't go our way, we have the audacity to get angry at God because he didn't give you your idol. Come on, just pick it up. When we don't get it, we don't have it. We have the audacity to say, God, you have left me. You, have, you don't love me. You have the audacity to be angry at the God of the universe because he refuses to allow a creature to rule over you. That's the difference between slave mindset and son mindset. It's okay, embrace it. Because we're here, the gospel response. We're here, we're here. There's something beautiful. There's someone glorious. Amen. There's someone in which all other lovers and lords have to bow because he's the greatest lover of my soul. He's the greatest Lord of my life. And he didn't drive me and cause me to sacrifice me, but he sacrificed himself. He gave up his life. He suffered. Mm, What a good God. What a good savior, what a good lover, what a good Lord, what a great master. Number three, applying the gospel to our idols so that we can live holy lives as worship to a holy God. Three steps, three steps, ready? Three steps, how how do I do this? How do I do this? I need this. Number one, see idols without. Number one, how do I, how do I, how do I begin to apply the gospel? Number one, see idols everywhere. Don't leave this place without seeing idols everywhere. It's gonna mess you up. You gotta take your beer goggles off. You gotta see idols, they're everywhere. Vanity Fair, everywhere. See them everywhere. It's not ancient, stop, stop, stop it. Stop downplaying idolatry. That's primitive, that's ancient, that's Old Testament. That's not true. See idols everywhere, external, visible, powerful, social shapers, Vanity Fair, from the Super Bowl to Coachella, from the Big Apple to Sin City, from the Little League field to travel ball, music, video games, and TV. Even an atheist can't tell me they're religious. They go to church on Sunday. It's called the game. They pay their tithes regularly. It's called season tickets. They even meet in small groups. It's called tailgating. And they discuss the team. And they give honor and veneration and worship. 
and they allow the win or the loss to bring them to heaven or hell. Don't tell me, don't tell me there's no such thing as God and religion. Don't get mad at me when I pay my tithes. How dare you point to the church, say they're just trying to rob you. No, 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 I choose to give to a good God who's given everything to me. Don't judge me. Y'all hear me? Number one, see idols everywhere. I hope I messed you up. I hope this series messes you up. I hope you always see idols. I really do. I really do. But number two then, once you see idols without, discern idols within. That's the next step. So I want you to know that not everyone has the same cluster of idols. We all have different things driving us. We have different experiences. We are raised by different parents. We have different life traumas and different shapers and social situations, right? And so we all may want a house, but many of you want it for different reasons. Some want it for status. Some want it for safety and security. Some want it for comfort. Y'all see that? And so though the idols without are there, Everyone has different motivating factors, desires, cravings, greedy wants and needs. So you see the idols without and then you discern your idol within. And they're multiple. Y'all with me? It can be one or a combination of idols like comfort or pleasure, acceptance or approval, fear or worry, glory, power, control. finally, see idols without, discern idols within, and then apply the gospel. The healing balm. How? The gospel of Jesus Christ says that I'm saved by grace. You know what grace is? It's the free goodwill of God. You're saved freely, gifted, the gospel of grace. But the gospel of your idolatry says I'm saved by my works. Y'all see that? I work, I sacrifice, I give, but Christ says, no, that's real tiring, y'all. You're saved by grace. Mm. The gospel of Jesus Christ calls me to trust in the creator. The gospel of my idolatry causes me to trust in the creation. Hmm. How about this? The gospel of Christ justifies me by faith. I don't need a degree to justify me. I don't need that promotion to justify me. I'm justified in Christ. I've been seated in heavenly places, Ephesians 2. I've already got, I've already been bestowed the highest honors. I've been given the highest riches. Now, you don't really believe that, though. Like, I'm already seated in heavenly places. Like, why do I need to fight for a promotion to be honored? God in Christ on the cross has supremely honored me. He has adorned me with his righteousness. Hmm gospel of Christ declares. Are you ready? Just listen. That in Christ, I'm fully loved. I don't need to search for another lover. 
in Christ, I'm fully accepted and approved. I don't need mom and dad's approval. But in Christ, I'm forgiven. Some of you say, I know God's forgiven me, but I haven't forgiven myself. That means that you have another God because the word of the Lord is not strong enough for you. There's something else that's driving your unforgiveness. Uh, I'm fully forgiven in Christ. But no, Phil, you don't, no, 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 you don't know my Jesus. But no, you don't know what I did. You don't know my Jesus. You, no, you don't know what I did, Phil. Well, you don't know what Christ did then. I'm fully loved, fully accepted. I'm fully forgiven. Yeah, it's hard to understand, but I gotta believe and trust. What a love, what a Lord, what a savior. I'm fully secure. I'm secure. I'm secure. I'm empowered. And he's in control. True conversion. True conversion. What is it? Turn from idols and turn towards Jesus. Smash your substitute saviors every day. And trust in Jesus. Amen. Momentarily, I have parents in here. We have great kids, men. I want to make sure, but just momentarily, can we just process? Momentarily, I want to pray with you, but can we just sing worship unto the Lord? And can we just worship him and process through what God is saying? Amen. Father, no one in this room is foolish enough to think that one sermon is going to change this battle of the flesh. But we do trust in not a sermon, but we trust in the cross, the work of Jesus. And so, Lord, we don't put 
our faith in willpower. We don't put our faith in willpower. We put our faith in Jesus. Fully loved, fully accepted, fully forgiven, fully freed, fully approved. In Christ alone. In Christ alone. And so I just pray if there's anyone in this room who has put their hope, love, trust, and faith in an object, we've turned our attention and our affections to a substitute Savior. And we would turn our eyes back to you, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, do something new in this church. We did not come back from a pandemic in which we were shut down for 16 months just to be the same church. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't. Do something new in us. All of us, individually and corporately. Lord, help us to see idols everywhere. Help us to discern idols inward and help us to apply the gospel every day so that we may live holy lives as an act of worship, a response of love, not a work. Lord, you are good. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to say this before you leave. Remember, as you leave this place, remember, an idol isn't an idol because you possess it. It's only an idol when it possesses you. So go and enjoy God's good creation, okay? Like, don't say, I can't eat today. That's an idol. I can't drive in my Tesla. Have a good time. Enjoy God's creation. Possess it, but don't let it possess you. Christ is the only one who's worthy. Amen? Have a good Sunday. God bless you guys.